And before we move on to the next words, let's consider these, this word from Jesus from the cross. Now, I was listening the other day to a fairly respected preacher uh, out in New York City who was describing the reality of the situation uh, there. And as you can probably imagine, it was significantly different than what uh, many people in many parts of the country are going through. Uh, For example, he said that in many of the urban or the working class churches in New York City, more than 80% of the people at this point were uh, out of jobs. Uh, That's a significant impact on those churches. Uh, He said that the starkest thing was just to see the reality of death. He was in Manhattan, right across the river was Queens, and people in Queens were sitting in their apartments and and watching body bags come out of apartments uh, for most of the day. That That was day after day in Queens right now. There's a lot of suffering going on. A lot of suffering. And a lot of people, understandably, are quite angry, quite upset with all of the suffering. Um, You can see the anger in the voices about politics. People are upset at the governments. Close down the, the states. Don't close down the states. Force the businesses to produce. Don't force the businesses to produce. Uh, make sure that the uh, the the, ta- the the uh, the shutdown is imposed upon people with even uh, fining people and and then others saying don't fine people. There's a lot of anger about it. People are angry at their their neighbors. Others, uh, you don't stay at home when you're supposed to stay home, and and you do stay at home when you're supposed to stay at home, and not said with kindness and, and encouragement, but with anger and, and bitterness. And there, people are even upset at churches. Oh, you you should follow the government's rules. How come you're not shutting down? Oh, you're you're bending to the government. You need to worship God and stay open. Uh, just a, a lot of anger, and I can understand how upset people are. I'm I'm not really surprised about it. I was talking with one of my Chinese friends, and he was discussing how in China they were not really so upset, and and that's not really a surprise. The Chinese people in general are more collectivistic, more communal, and so it's not a problem for somebody from a thousand miles away to say, I will sacrifice and give up my rights so that somebody else 1,500 miles away Uh, has a a better life. He says they're just generally not lashing out at each other. But he said that on top of that, uh, or on top of that, we would add in that the the Chinese, generally speaking, have more resources to deal with suffering. They have more cultural intellect, more cultural uh, understanding to handle the problem of suffering. And we often miss that anger is just a secondary emotion. John Gottman, uh, he, he does a really good job of picturing this with something called the anger iceberg. You can look it up if you'd like, the anger iceberg. And he just shows us that anger is not a, a primary emotion. We're going through something else, and, and that could never be truer than right now as we go through a pandemic. And if it is the case, then, that we don't have many cultural resources to handle suffering. And here's just one, one expert who, who says that. He says, most cultures, unlike our own and like America, expect suffering as inevitable. 
and see it as a means of strengthening and enriching us. Our secular culture, on the other hand, is perhaps the worst in history. Wow, what? At helping its members face suffering. Every other culture says the meaning of life is something beyond this world and life. But in secular culture, the meaning of life is to be free to choose what makes you happy in this life. And so suffering destroys that meaning. In the secular view, suffering can have no meaning at all. It's not a chapter in your life's story. It's just the interruption or maybe even the end of the story that you wanted to have. Tonight, then, we have to ask ourselves, maybe what, what resources, what help can the cross offer us in our own suffering? What can we get in the cross for help? It, it, it started like this, that on Passover evening, Jesus was arrested. He stood trial with the Sanhedrin. Uh, They passed him off to Pontius Pilate. He stood trial with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, sentenced him to death by crucifixion. About nine o'clock on Friday morning, Jesus was placed on the cross, and from the cross, he said these seven statements that we are reading and listening to tonight. One of them, the one that we're considering this evening, goes like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or as Jesus would have said it, Eli, Eli. Now that word Eli, that means my God in Aramaic. It's a possessive word. It's it's the possessive form of God. It sounds a lot like Elijah. It's the same word that you would use probably for a shortened to, to talk to Elijah. And so whether Jesus was delirious, just you know, going crazy, or at least the people thought he was delirious at the time, or the people believed that perhaps Elijah could come and help him, they said, well, let's wait, right? Let's see what happens. Maybe, maybe Elijah will rescue him. Now, the physical pain he's going through at this point is, is intense. It's not as important as the spiritual pain, but it's pretty intense, and I don't think you would have put this part of the story in if it were made up. Look at this guy. This guy is is dying on a cross. He's delirious, and he's calling on some guy named Elijah, who who lived maybe 500 plus years ago, they're saying, and, and he's calling on this guy Elijah to rescue him. I'm practically embarrassed to even tell you this story, and then I have to say to you, this is the guy you should trust. This is the guy you should believe in. He is calling on some guy who lived 500 years ago to save him. Except people do the same thing whenever we see someone suffer. I've had a a fair number of people understandably say, you know, I'm angry, I'm upset about this, I'm I'm disappointed, I'm sad, I'm overwhelmed. And and they say too, who's going to stop this thing? Who's going to help this thing? Why doesn't somebody do something? And how could this happen? We need to see that we're only mad and sad and hurt and disappointed if bad is really wrong. When we say, why doesn't do something, let's find an Elijah, we're assuming that there's a way the world is supposed to work. We're assuming there's some justice in the world, there's order in the world, and it's supposed to work in a certain direction. And somehow, someone should, should help us, should rescue us out of this mess. And a lot of people will say, you know, there isn't any right or wrong, or if there is right and wrong, well, you shouldn't tell me 
right until we're suffering. And then they say, how come somebody doesn't help us? Somebody should, ought, ought to help us. This is telling us there's a God. There's, a, there's a, at least a higher being out there, someone who each one of us looks to for help when we face problems. And if each one of us has this God, that means there's something universal. There's something common for all of us that we all look to. So suffering is also telling us that really there is a, there is a God. As sad as suffering is, the, the response we have to suffering tells us that. You know, you're angry. You're upset. You're disappointed. You're sad. You're overwhelmed. I was watching a Harvard Business Review of all places. And they said, we're all experiencing a lot of grief right now. Don't let that turn you against God. It happens. I remember a pastor telling me about a woman that he served. The woman got sick. I think it was cancer. Then her mother got sick. Her mother died. She recovered. He visited them a lot. And, and it visited him a few times still after the death, and then suddenly she stopped coming to church, and, and she stopped talking to him. She came one time, she was bitter, she was angry, she was resentful. He realized, he said after the fact, you know, I was, I was, I was watching her process all of the things she felt about the loss of her mother, and the suffering turned her against God. It can happen to you and I too, but you know, suffering, as much as anything, tells us there is a God. Why else would we care about the way things should go? So how do we keep our hearts soft? How do we keep our hearts gentle and, and receptive, vulnerable, as we look at what happens even right now? You have to look more carefully at what Jesus says, because the infinity of his sufferings covers over our sufferings. Jesus says, my God, my God, I, I like it. He doesn't say, my pinky, my pinky. He doesn't say, my toe, you know, I stubbed my toe. Uh, he doesn't say, my disciples. He, he doesn't even say, my, my city, my people, my church. He says, my God, my God. No, this is the same thing that, you know, you and I do. I mean, what do you scream about when you, when you hurt your toe? I'm guessing a lot of you say when you stub your toe, my toe, ouch! Uh, maybe it's inappropriate, and so you probably just shouldn't even say it. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus here. He is, he's, what is shocking about him is most of the time, he's quiet. He gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the only thing he has to say to the people is, oh, I was in the temple courts every day. How come you didn't arrest me there? That's all he says. He, he stands trial before the Sanhedrin. He's quiet there. He doesn't defend himself. He says, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds from heaven. He stands trial before Pontius Pilate. Again, he has nothing really to say. He says, oh, you say that I'm a king. Now look, go read your Bible. You can't make this stuff up. So he's, now he's sitting on the cross. He's, he's there on the cross. And, and the only thing he's got to say are these words, these seven statements that he, we're hearing tonight. And they're, they're thoughtful. They're kind words. Father, forgive them. I tell you the truth. Today you will be in, with me in paradise. Hardly a word. And until Matthew says here, he cried out in a loud voice. He, he gave a great cry. In other words, he, he screamed. This whole time he's quiet. And now all of a sudden he screams. 
And what's his pain? His God. His God. You and I do this all, all the time. If you walk into your house after work and the, the toys are on the floor, the coats have fallen off the racks, and your spouse comes up to you and says, hey, I'm tired, it's so good you're home, can you come and help? And you, you say, oh, no, I had a terrible day at work, how dare you ask me to help, and this house is all a mess, rah, rah, rah. And you're not mad at your, your spouse, but your spouse is pushing into the hurt, pushing into the suffering. What really hurt Jesus wasn't you, it wasn't me, it wasn't really the whole world. It was his God. It was his God who, who wasn't there. Jesus felt there was a God whole. He was missing. That there wasn't a God who loved him. That there was a God who was absent. He couldn't sense him. He couldn't know his love. He couldn't feel his love like you and I could. He thought that God would, would never come back for him. If there was a God at all, he, he, he wasn't there for him. He was gone. His heart froze. He was plunged into the deepest outer darkness. He was plunged into the base of hell. Do you remember the other day when the sun started shining and it was, it was almost 70 degrees and we all went out of our houses and we looked out at the sun and we said, oh, I hope somebody, a neighbor walks outside so I can yell at them across the yard. That would be so nice. You know, God is like the sun and he is, he is keeping the earth warm. He's keeping everything warm. He's keeping us soft and, and everybody is soft and warm to some extent. He's keeping humanity from completely freezing over. He's keeping us from the outer darkness and that's true whether you you believe in him as your Savior and Lord or not, for everyone except Jesus. For Jesus, there was no God. Where God should have been, there was only darkness and cold. The Bible says over and over that the, the worst punishment to face, the ultimate punishment, you and I would experience the absence of God and the absence of of his love. That would be the worst punishment. Jesus was sent to hell and he went to eternal torment. And you know what? The words go beyond that. They don't just say that he experienced eternal torment. It's not just that at that moment Jesus was sent to hell or that he took on himself the sin of the world. It goes beyond that. Uh, it doesn't just say, you have forsaken me, does it? Jesus says, my God, my God. Those words have, have never been said since. They never will be said ever again. One of the things that the Bible uh, shows us so fun is that, that nobody who has ever gone to hell hasn't chosen it. Everybody who goes to hell chooses it for themselves as their own place you can watch this uh, on the last day. The judge says, depart from me, you who, who have done all of these things. And they say back to him, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or, or any of that? Right? They'd say, when did we ever see you? It's not that they say, well, we just made a big mistake and we wanted to be with you the whole time. They say, when did we ever see you? We didn't, we didn't even notice you. We weren't paying attention to you. Anyone who goes to hell, is saying, cruel. Jesus, you're a cruel master. You're a wicked person. You, you abandoned us. You lost us. You're going to 
You're going to crush us under your justice. And we hear this from people, people who, who might say, oh, I'd rather be in hell and have a party than, than have to go to heaven with him. There, everybody who is in hell chose it, except for Jesus. I don't know if I've ever called my wife, Rachel, my Rachel. I call her my wife all the time. I call her my love, my dear. Probably call her other things that maybe I should or shouldn't say. I don't know if I've ever called her my Rachel. And I've certainly never called her my Rachel, my Rachel. Those words are so intimate, so near, so dear. And Jesus says, my God, my God. It wasn't just a, a little bit of hell. It was a great hell. It was the loss of all intimacy and love with the source of love. Doesn't that melt your heart? It's more than enough for you and me. Do you want to see how? Verse 50, Jesus says, Jesus gave up his spirit. After all that he went through, he didn't collapse. He didn't just quit. He gave up his spirit. Nothing that happened happened by accident. He wasn't out of control. Even after he lost his God from the basement of hell, he said, my God, my God. He, he cried out for intimacy with his father. He cried out for love with his father. My God, from hell's heart, he said, I obey you. Not from hell's heart, I, I hate you. Or from hell's heart, I curse you. From hell's heart, I just have to go through this. From hell's heart, I obey you. I love you. I want to be with you still. How did he do it? He never gave up. He never quit. All so that you would know, without a shadow of a doubt, that there is absolutely nothing in this world, no sin you could ever commit, No feeling in your heart, no thought in your mind that would keep you from Him. He loved you more than life itself. Also that He could have you. I don't know what the reason is for the particular suffering that you are experiencing. Whether that's the, the virus or something else. But I do know what it's not. It's not because you did something so terrible. It's not because God doesn't love you. And if you see that, you will have power in everything you experience. There's this moment in the Lord of the Rings at the end where Sam has traveled across the whole land and he's traveling across this barren wasteland pain, experiencing terrible suffering. And he looks up at the last mountain he has to climb and it's a, an awful destructive place. It's, it looks like he's going to die for sure and he, he loses all hope. He, he's starting to feel like not only will I never get home, but I'm just going to die. This is a mission of death. And he says, even as hope died or seemed to die, it was turned to new strength. 
Sam's plain face grew stern, almost grin, grim as the will hardened in him. And he felt through all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. If your hope is from you, if it's something that you made up, it will never last. But if your hope comes from the one who suffered everything from, for you, then you, his suffering overwhelms your every suffering. There is absolutely nothing in this world that can crush you. For his sufferings overwhelm all of your sufferings and will make you last. Let's pray. Father, we see in this event the intensity of Jesus' sufferings. Help us now to think on it in such a way that it helps us to see because he was forsaken, we will never be forsaken. Because he went to hell, we do not have to go. And Father, we pray that you would help us to think about this in such a way that it leads us to amazing hope and endurance in what it promises and gives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.